This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle of Fantasy Labs and Rotoviz. Welcome to the September 16th, 2017 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an editor at Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, the playoffs are here. It's pretty exciting. We obviously uh, have a lot to talk about with regards to the playoffs, and this is it. The 10-race stretch to the end. All right, yes, the NASCAR playoffs are here, but before that, we should talk about the race at Richmond we had last week. Kyle Larson picked up his fourth win of the year, beating Martin Truex Jr. on a late restart Getting five. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Playoff points in the process. So talk about that race at Richmond, the last race of the season. Yeah, it was uh, certainly an interesting race. Martin Truex Jr. had the best car. He didn't dominate the beginning portion of the race, but he finally got to the front, dominated most of the latter portion of the race. And, uh, you know, there was a very late caution where Derek Cope got into the wall with just a handful of laps left. Everybody came down a pit because tires were so important, and Kyle Larson beat Truex out of the pits, and Larson actually had the better short-run car than Truex, so... Uh, Larson ended up on that restart, um, you know, pulling ahead of Truex and, and taking the win there. So those five playoff points are huge because that closes the playoff point gap to Truex just a little bit. Obviously, Truex still wins the regular season, those 15 bonus playoff points. So Truex Jr. is sitting on a mountain of playoff points as we go into the playoffs. Uh, he looks to be a shoe-in, basically, to the finals. It, it's not a guarantee, of course. Anything can happen in NASCAR, but uh, certainly a very... Very good situation for Martin Truex Jr. I know he would have loved to have those extra five points. Everything, every last little bit helps when you're trying to make your way through the playoffs and get to Homestead in that final four there for the last race. But, uh, yeah, it was an interesting race because of that late restart. I had Daniel Suarez in 100% of my GPP lineups. I wrote him up in the article, and I decided to just go all in on him, played him 100% in the in the beast there whatever they're calling the big big gpp these days and was doing pretty well had a had a nice profit going and then uh with that that last wreck and restart there soros jumped all the way up to fifth finished fifth and then about 20 minutes after the race uh there was a scoring change and moved him down to seventh so lost a little bit there but still a very nice profitable day thanks to that daniel soros 
pick there. So good race for me, but uh, now it's on to the next week, and of course Chicagoland looms. Yeah, so we will talk about Chicagoland. We're going to talk about the NASCAR playoffs. But first, we're going to talk about the 30% discount that people can get through the NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR t- content. All of Nick's premium NASCAR content in your subscription supports the pod. Uh, I should also tell you that it is obviously NFL. If you didn't know that, week two is upon us. You can get a subscription to Rotoviz NFL content through the NFL podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash podcast. All right, but Nick, we have two things that we need to talk about. First, I believe that we are, for the final time this year, knocking down the price of the NASCAR subscription. And then also, last show, we randomly mentioned that we were thinking about doing some sort of contest. I don't know if you actually did the legwork on that. And I just remembered right now that we even talked about doing a contest. So one, talk about the subscription, but then two, are we having a contest? Yeah, so let us address number one here first. Uh, so number one, of course, the we did drop the price of the subscription one more time. It is now $40 for the rest of the year. Of course, with the 30% pod discount, it'll be $28 for the rest of the year. Uh, that's 10 races. That's $2.80 per race, or you can get it, you know, $40 if you don't do the pod discount, but why wouldn't you if you're listening to the pod here? So uh, certainly $2.80 per race for 10 races is a great deal. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 it. It's going to take us through the rest of the chase, and that'll be our, like you mentioned, our last price drop of the year. Uh, you also mentioned the contest. We will have a contest. I decided because the first round will probably uh, be – a little obvious as to who doesn't make it onto the next round. I mean, I think outside of some major wrecks, we're going to start it with the second round. So when there is uh, 12 drivers left, and we're going to go 12 to 8, 8 to 4, and then pick the final four, the order there. So I'll have some details around that on next week's pod, and that'll give us two weeks to get in entries, get people submitting them. And it also gives you guys a chance, a little interesting, gives you guys a chance to see the first three races of the chase here. And, uh, you know, kind of after... After that next chase race, when we or, sorry, after that third chase race of the first round, um, then you'll have a chance. You'll have seen three races. We'll know the final twelve drivers. So before Charlotte uh, on October eighth, you'll need to submit your your responses there. But it'll give you a chance to kind of see what's going on with the field in the chase. And I, that, that's I think it's cool because a lot of teams have tinkered probably during the regular season or some of them, you know, they get an early win and they're locked into the chase. They might be in a little bit of tinker mode and see what they can figure out for the chase. So it gives us a chance, three races to see how these teams have tinkered around a little bit. And it also whittle out, I think the dreck of the playoff uh, field here. I know there's some guys who got some, some pretty interesting wins. Ricky Stenhouse, at the plate races, for example, uh, Austin Dillon, that fuel mileage win, Ryan Newman, that strategy wins. So we'll see if they're still around and if how they've performed, so our our playoff contest will start with the October 8th race at Charlotte. Gives us a couple weeks to kind of organize the exact structure there as well. And also gives you guys a chance to watch all of the playoff action. Uh, again, the winner of the contest will receive a Rotoviz pullover and a lifetime subscription to all of Rotoviz. So uh, the winner of the contest, you definitely want to enter. And then I, I think we have some second and third place prizes as well. I think we're going to do a lifetime pass to NASCAR and a year-long pass to NASCAR as well for second and third. So a couple of things. One, uh, I think that's an excellent format for the postseason contest. Uh, I think you probably came up with it just on the fly, like you had 
forgotten about it and you were like, oh, we can't start it this week because I forgot about it. Let's push it back. And then on the fly, you came up with that whole rationale for it. So that's my theory. I don't know if that's true, but that's what we're going to go with. And you did a fantastic job of covering that you hadn't prepared. Secondly, it's not the chase anymore, Nick. I think you should know oh, that. Oh, man. You're right. You're right. It's not the chase. The playoffs. It's going to be hard to say that. I mean, I still say that. <laughs> yeah. I still say the St. Louis Rams for football, too. Right. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I actually was prepared. If you look at bullet 1A, it was about the contest and said Charlotte Motor Speedway on October 8th. But uh, that's because I actually wrote the outline uh, about an hour before we, we hopped on air here. So it's not that I forgot about the contest. I just didn't really think of a structure and I figured it's, it would be hard to announce without, you know, announcing it on the podcast. And we can talk about it on the podcast, talk about it on Road of His Live, all that stuff. So I figured because it was such short notice last week when we kind of made it up on the fly, we'll give you people a few weeks notice and, and get the structure hammered out. And that way everybody can have a chance to submit with plenty of ample notice. All right. That makes sense. Okay. The NASCAR playoffs, a.k.a. the former chase. It starts this weekend at Chicagoland Speedway. So, Nick, for the people who are new to NASCAR DFS or just new to NASCAR in general, can you explain the playoff structure and then talk about any DFS implications that the playoff structure could have this weekend? Yeah, so the playoff structure is pretty interesting because uh, they've changed it a little bit this year. It still goes from 16 drivers who make the playoffs, and then after three races, any winners make the next round as well as uh, the the top the top rest of the drivers in points. So uh, the three race winners will advance to the next round, and then the next nine drivers in points will advance to the next round as well. The next nine non winners that are in the chase. Obviously, if there's a winner outside of the chase, they don't like suddenly advance to the next round of the the, the playoffs. Damn it! Uh, <laughs> they don't advance to the next round of the playoffs if if you know like Al- Eric Almarola wins or Paul Menard wins or something like that then they just win, and then it just becomes an extra one based off of points. Or, for example, if Martin Truex Jr. just sweeps the whole thing, then it's going to be the next 11 drivers on points as well. So uh, 12 drivers get in. Any chase drivers that win in the first round, the three races, move on to the next round, and then the rest are filled out by points until we get to 12 drivers, and then that means four are eliminated. Then we do the same thing from the, the second round of the playoffs. We go from 12 down to eight. Again, there's three races there. And then finally we go from eight down to four. Uh, and then obviously at Homestead, the final race, it's just the final four are alive and the best finisher among the final four wins. No playoff points at that point, no bonus points, anything like that. Just whoever finished the highest at Homestead wins the championship. I also want to talk about the playoff points because that matters as well. Uh, Martin Shurex Jr., of course, as I mentioned, racked up a bunch of playoff points in the 50s. Uh, and, and that's very important because these playoff points carry through every round of the playoffs. So right now, Martin Truex Jr. has 53 playoff points. So he essentially has a, a 53 point lead. Well, actually a 48 point lead over, you know, 16th place there. Um, uh, Jamie McMurray or, or Matt Kenseth or guys like that that only have, uh, five or three playoff points. So Jamie McMurray actually has three playoff points because he's not won, um, a stage. And he's also finished last in the points there. So Martin Truex Jr. has a 50-point lead over Jamie McMurray because Martin Truex Jr. got 53 playoff points. McMurray only got three. 
And then the next round, they reset the points, but then they also reset the playoff points. So Martin Truex Jr. will have 53 in the next round. And let's say McMurray advances, he'll have three for the next round. But basically, Martin Truex Jr. is a 50-point lead over McMurray, you know, a 20-point lead over second-place Kyle Larson, who has 33 playoff points. And that, again, carries all the way through the playoffs up until Homestead, where they wipe him out. So it's a huge advantage to have those playoff points. Uh, and, and that's also very important as you guys set your, your contest and knowing that going forward because those playoff points will carry through. And, uh, you know, as we make the next round, when we start at Charlotte, Martin Truex Jr. will again have a 20 point lead over Kyle Larson, assuming both of them make the next round and so forth. So definitely a different, you know, twist to the playoffs this year. The structure's the same outside of the playoff points. All right. Let's talk about the race. Chicagoland. It is a one-and-a-half-mile oval that falls into the large oval category. Uh, one thing that's interesting, uh, Chicagoland, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but I believe it's one of the few playoff tracks where there hasn't been a race there earlier in the season, uh, so drivers don't have the chance really to acquaint themselves with the track this season. Uh, can you talk about racing at Chicagoland? Yeah, definitely. Um, you're right. The Chicago land we have not raced at yet this year. It's the first time we've come to the track this year. Uh, and Chicago land, you mentioned one and a half mile oval. That's important because, of course, there are a lot of one and a half mile ovals on the NASCAR circuit. This is like the bread and butter of NASCAR. Uh, the most races on, on, on large ovals, especially the one and a half. There's also the two mile ovals of Michigan and, and Auto Club, which fall into the large oval category, but certainly the one and a halfs are kind of the bread and butter of NASCAR. So we start out at a bread and butter track for the playoffs. Uh, and, uh, you know, Chicagoland is a very, interesting race because there's there's a couple of unique things about Chicagoland. The first is the back straightaway isn't completely straight. So when you're coming off turn two, normally it's a little bit tighter than, you know, coming off of turn four onto the more curved front straightaway. Well, the back straightaway does have a little bit of a curve. So it, it, it actually makes it a little bit different coming off of turn two. You have more room to go out to the outside wall because it's still curving slightly away from you as the driver comes out of the corner, whereas it's like basically straight when you're coming out of the corner and a lot of these other tracks. So that actually does affect the driving a little bit. Some drivers like that. I know, for example, Brendan Gaughan in the Xfinity series really does well at Chicagoland because of that. Now, that said, uh, it is also a race where, uh, you know, there is not many DNFs. If we look in terms of just the number of DNFs, and I'm, I'm, when I say DNFs, I also include just like drivers that have problems. You know, they finish 15 laps down. They actually finished, but they had major problems that caused them to finish 15, 20, 30 laps down or whatever. Uh, so the number of those drivers with problems is very low. It's only around uh, 17% since uh, 2011, but even in more recent years, it's down below 15%. So not many DNFs, not many major problems happen at Chicagoland. So I don't expect a ton of cautions, for example. Uh, and, and then, you know, racing is like you see at most of the one and a half mile ovals. Track position is certainly important. Uh, and it really is going to be a, a pretty typical mile and a half race. Okay. So just before we got on air, you tweeted out the results of your Chicagoland model. How does the model look this weekend? Insane. Uh, it looks really good. That's why I tweeted it out. I was pretty excited about it. This I was doing a couple other things. You know, I'm always trying to improve the model, and I found one tweak that really helped. And so the Chicagoland model actually now has the highest R squared of any of the models I've done this year. I know the Phoenix one was around 0.65 R squared. 
the Chicagoland model 0.685. So uh, one, the, one of the tweaks I did, instead of just using the 10 lap average or just using a final practice or the combined practice, I basically had a yes and no in there uh, where if they did a 10 lap average, then use that. And if no, then use a combined practice average because not everybody does a 10 lap average at Chicagoland. And so doing it that way, doing a yes or no kind of decision tree type thing and then adding in the, the practice times, whether it's the 10 lap time or the combined single lap time, really made the model pop this week. So uh, super exciting, 0.685, which means 68.5% of the variance in finishing position can be explained by factors in the model. Uh, the, the mean square error, which is kind of like the standard deviation of the model, is about 5.9. So that means if, you know, again, if I predict a driver to, the model predicts a driver to finish 20th, then add 5.9 or subtract 5.9 to get his kind of uh, one standard deviation away range there. So um, obviously 20 minus 5.9 is 14.1. I can do arithmetic on the fly. And then 20 plus 5.9 would be 25.9. So you get that like range where 85%, 90% of the time, something like that, uh, he a, a driver would actually finish between, let's say, just 14th and 26th to, to kind of round it a little bit. So pretty exciting model this week, and I'm excited to use it. All right, that's going to uh, be pretty awesome. That's a, a super great uh, correlation there. Uh, what stats went into the model this weekend? It was surprisingly few uh, for for such a high predictive model. But, of course, I mentioned the one about the 10-lap average and then the, the combined average, uh, depending on if they did a 10-lap or not. Then the other, driver, the other ones are year-to-date driver rating. Uh, so well, how have they performed this year? Large oval driver rating. So just, you know, removing the flat tracks, removing the steep tracks, removing the restrictor plates, removing the road courses and just focusing on the large ovals and then starting position. So it is actually a very simple model, just some driver rating stuff on how they perform this year. The practice stuff where I, I added that little twist in and then starting position. But uh, it, it's a very simple model, but it makes a lot of sense because the mile and a half, as I mentioned, it's the most abundant track. It's the uh, most simple track in terms of understanding, and, and it's also the most simple in terms of understanding for the model. So it doesn't need a ton of factors. It's not as unique as some of these other quirky tracks like a Martinsville or a Bristol or a you know a Pocono, things like that. So a uh, basic model, but a really predictive model. All right. It seems like with large ovals being more important than track history, there's an advantage in GPPs where some players might overvalue track history and either fade drivers they shouldn't or play drivers they should fade. Are there any drivers who stand out to you who have performed either significantly better or worse this year at one and a half mile ovals uh, than their Chicagoland track history would suggest? Yeah, there's there's a, certainly a couple names. Uh, one name I'm looking at that performs better this year at the large ovals is Ryan Blaney. He actually has the fifth best driver rating at large ovals this year. Whereas if we look at Chicagoland, he actually falls down around uh, 10th or 11th in driver rating. So Ryan Blaney uh, could be somebody that people overlook this weekend in terms of if they were to focus more on track history rather than large oval history. So 
definitely something we want to take advantage of. Uh, a driver that's maybe performed a little bit better is Ryan Newman. So Ryan Newman has a very high driver rating at uh, Chicagoland. It's just a couple spots behind Ryan Blaney. But then you look at the large ovals this year, and he's actually back in 21st at the large oval category. So not very good for Ryan Newman. One other driver who actually, again, gets will we'll, we'll get the – uh, the Ryan Blaney treatment here is somebody who maybe struggled a little bit more at Chicagoland in terms of driver rating is Jamie McMurray. He's just a notch below Ryan Newman at Chicagoland. But if we look at the large ovals this year, Jamie McMurray also gets a bump because he comes in at seventh in the driver rating at large ovals. He's had a very good car this year at the large ovals. Obviously, teammate Kyle Larson has been great as well. So certainly, I think Jamie McMurray is a name we could hop on this week as well if uh, people are going to be you know, a little underweight on him maybe because of some track history or something like that. Okay, because the model is so strong this weekend, uh, it seems like using the model for cash games is a good move, but for GPPs, how can players use the model but still be contrarian in a way that is intelligent? Yeah, so there's a, a couple things I think we can do. First, you want to pair the model with the ownership percentage projections. Uh, I tweet out the ownership percentage projections every week in terms of like the actual results, and the R squares are like 0 .88, 0 .89 most weeks. So the ownership percentage projections are basically spot on. Uh, and then combine that with the 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 model, and then figure out which drivers. Basically, you can just compare ownership percentage projections and model projections, and figure out which drivers are going too low owned. Uh, compared to the model projection. So I think that's going to be the best way to use it. Uh, another thing that you can do, again, I said, is, is take advantage of the fact that people will probably overweight track history, but don't do it with the leaders. I like doing it more with the back markers. Uh, and not really back markers, but you know, those medium type drivers, the Austin Dillons, the, the Danicas, the Bushers, the Almarolas of the world. Take advantage of some of those mismatches there. Um, I, you know, I did mention Ryan Newman is one you could fade. So if people are too high on him, then uh, you know you could you could probably fade him a little bit if you know if he's projected to be too highly owned, uh, and then maybe somebody else like an Almarola or, or or whoever Almarola is, is one that we could we could certainly talk about. He has a 71.9 driver rating at large ovals this year versus a 60.9 driver rating at Chicagoland, so a big 11 driver rating point difference there. Almarola is somebody maybe if people are underweight on. Uh, or you know, it, just one of those drivers back there that 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 will be lower owned. Then you can go heavier on him because he's a backmarker and because he has a better uh, a track history. I get or sorry, type history than his track history would suggest. So those two things really just taking advantage of the bias and tr people looking at track history too much, and then also just leveraging the projections against ownership and finding the best plays there. All right, so 267 laps are scheduled. Dominators, as usual, with one-and-a-half-mile tracks, are going to be important. What are you expecting in terms of the number of Dominators we are likely to see at Chicagoland? Yeah, I think it's going to be like most years where we see two to three um, at most of these tracks these days. I have a feeling because it's it, what we've seen this year has more been around the two number that it'll probably be two. So uh, my guess is two, but I'm not positive it'll be two. I would definitely throw in some three dominator lineups. It is funny, though, back in 2011, the dominators were completely spread out. So it was kind of an anomaly, and it, it can happen. Uh, but that was 2011. You know, Kurt Busch led 24% of laps, Matt Kenza 17, Carl Edwards 14.6, Jimmy Johnson 14.6, and Tony Stewart 13.1. That's pretty highly unusual. Uh, last year, Jimmy Johnson 43, Chase Elliott 28. Basically, everybody else was around 10% or less. 
Uh, and then, um, you know, it, it, it basically ends up like that. Two or three dominators. More often at Chicagoland has been three, but I think because of the trends we've seen this year, I'm leaning more towards two. So three dominators, totally fine. That's kind of been one of the predominant uh, numbers we've seen over the years at Chicagoland. But just based off what we've seen at the mile and a half this year, I think I'm probably going to do more two dominator lineups and certainly some three dominator lineups. I might do like 60-40 or something like that. All right, and uh, what about your approach to dominators for GPPs? So in GPPs, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, with 267 laps, there's you definitely want to get the dominators in there. I like mixing and matching the dominators uh, when I do multi-entry. And so, you know, I, I certainly will go heavy on the drivers that I like, you know, uh, that I think will dominate the most. So maybe let's say it's Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson or whatever for, for an example, then I'll go most heavily on combinations of Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson, but I certainly throw in some Kyle Busch Truex or Kyle Busch, uh, Denny Hamlin or Kyle Busch, you know, whoever else I think has a chance to dominate combinations in a fraction of those lineups as well, because of course it's not guaranteed that Kyle Busch and, and Larson in this particular example would dominate. So that's if you have multiple entries. If you have one entry, you're playing a single entry or three max, then just stick to the ones you think will dominate the most. I wouldn't go too contrarian on the dominators, especially at a track that's pretty predictable like Chicagoland. So uh, I would I would definitely stick with the drivers I think are most likely to dominate and then differentiate elsewhere in my GPP lineups, as we talked about a little bit earlier. The, the smart way to be contrarian is to, to do it with more of the mid-pack type drivers. Okay, so you're thinking two to three dominators, leaning towards two. Uh, how does that impact your approach for cash games? Yeah, with cash games, it's interesting because this is a – just the mile and a half in general tend to be a situation where you don't really use many of the Derek Copes or the – you know, the those really backmarker type guys, the super backmarkers, the Timmy Hills, the Corey LaJoys, because we get enough separation of speed here and because there's a pretty low DNF rate here, so it doesn't – behoove you as much to to take these guys because they won't benefit from as much carnage uh like you're the driver starting 40th will probably only move up four or five spots instead of moving up seven or eight spots so uh with that said i like mostly approaching a balanced lineup uh, 6k 7k driver as being my lowest range there but if we do that it's going to be hard to jam in multiple dominators so i'm probably going with a two dominator approach in cash games this weekend i can understand taking a third bullet to really raise your floor, but I think two will probably be end up being enough because we'll be able to get a nice balanced lineup. We won't have to drop down to any of those back markers. You just used the words behoove and carnage in the same sentence. It was uh, definitely a first for this NASCAR podcast, and I'd probably say all NASCAR podcasts in the universe. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a math PhD guy, so I, I, big words are hard for me, and I, I can only drop them maybe like once a year. So uh, I think I might have done my, my my yearly duty. Yeah, it was it was nicely done. Uh, okay, there's been a lot of talk in the NASCAR garages this weekend about Toyotas. Brad Keselowski tweeted that the Toyotas are far ahead of the other manufacturers, and then three Toyotas qualified at the top. What do you make of all of the manufacturer talk? And then now that playoff teams no longer have the freedom to experiment with what they're doing, uh, what else are you looking for this weekend in terms of future races? Yeah, so it was it was definitely a lot of fun on NASCAR Twitter today. You mentioned the Brad Keselowski tweet. He said we're all in for a rude awakening. Haven't seen a NAS haven't seen NASCAR let a manufacturer get this far ahead since the '70s. Kyle Busch. 
quote tweets Brad Keselowski with a crying face emoji, STFU. So a little bit of drama in the NASCAR community here on Twitter. But, uh, I, you know, the Toyotas did qualify one, two, three. They have been the best manufacturer all year. I certainly think there's some truth to what Keselowski says in that the Toyotas are ahead. Now, whether they're as far ahead as any manufacturer's ever been, and since the 70s, I don't know, but definitely the Toyotas are are the ones to beat. Um, it's 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 uh, you know definitely an edge that there is right now for the Toyotas. That said, that's just this weekend. We need to see what else will happen going forward. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show, teams will be tinkering, teams will be experimenting, uh, and and maybe somebody's found a setup that that works for them in race conditions. Who who knows who that'll be? But if we find a manufacturer, find a team that ends up looking a little better because they found something in that tinkering process, we're going to want to make note of it. So I'm going to be using Chicagoland really to study uh, if there's anything different among you know the teams, if, if the Chevys all look really good, or maybe just the Hendrick engines, which would be the Hendrick cars plus McMurray and Larson, or maybe it's the RCR guys, or maybe it's you know the, the Penske stable. I don't know. We're going to have to continue to keep an eye on this. Uh, because maybe some teams tinkered and found some things, maybe some didn't. Uh, and then also really pay attention to, there's an interesting swap on the pit crews. Kyle Busch now has uh, Daniel Suarez's pit crew, and Daniel Suarez got Kyle Busch's pit crew. They have some advanced metrics there that, of course, they, they keep as part of a business there that was showing that Daniel Suarez's crew was a little better than Kyle Busch's crew, so they swapped them. Kyle Busch now has a better pit crew, which makes him just that much more dangerous. So just keep an eye on those trends that uh, might be a little bit hidden because there might be subtle edges around there, and, and certainly watch the Chicago Land race to see if you pick up on anything that might be a benefit to any team or manufacturer or anything like that great information on the pit crew swap and uh randomly i have to say kozlowski he doesn't strike he doesn't strike me as a nascar historian you know like he doesn't seem like the type of guy who would actually know for a fact that toyota's now are more dominant than any manufacturer in the history of nascar since the 70s but anyway i digress <laughs> let's talk about something else coming up that's exciting the fantasy racing world championship so friend of the podcast soup sandwich he won the last spot, the last qualifying spot into this. So that's making him the third person to qualify three times for the main event that is coming up next weekend. Talk to us about your strategy. Yeah. First of all, congrats to, to Soup, a good friend of mine on Twitter. And I got to meet him at the very first NASCAR main event two years ago when he had uh, two qualifying entries, and I had two qualifying entries. Of course, this year, DraftKings limited to one max per person, and Soup got in. So a lot of names on the board that I recognize that are friends. we got BD Hala, who who I, I played a little bit of poker with at the World Series of Poker, uh, one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world as well. We've got Soup, as you mentioned. Uh, Juan Chen has been max entering. Of course, NS Mafia, last year's winner, co-winner, made it again. And then a couple of uh, Rotoviz subscribers made it, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, w, uh, well, so uh, K Heasy Jr., who's a Rotoviz subscriber, made it. And then there again, there's uh, when I said NS Mafia was a co-champion last year, is co-champion with WMD STAAB. I don't know how to say that, but that guy qualified again as well. So it is a star-studded field. It's not going to be easy. Uh, plenty of great, great players here in this in this fantasy racing world championship. So my strategy, of course, is to pay as much attention to Chicagoland as I can. I know New Hampshire is going to be very different from Chicagoland, but that doesn't mean if you didn't find something in Chicagoland, it might not apply to some of these other tracks as well. So 
I, the other thing I'm going to be doing in terms of strategy is I, I mentioned I'm continuously improving the model. Basically, after NFL ends on, on, on Sunday or Monday, I guess, with Monday Night Football, I'm going to be toying with the model, doing everything I can to squeeze every last little predictive power out of it so that I can post it for you guys and so I can also use it for my purposes at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, which will be the second race of the playoffs, but the first race of the Fantasy Racing World Championship. So that's kind of my strategy going in. And from there, it's really, really, really about studying which trends matter the most at each track. With Darlington, uh, I think it was where I won the uh, the the um, what's the big one called the Thunderdome there. I had something very specific I looked for, and that was quality pass percentage as it relates to driver rating. And I found certain standout guys in those metrics that relative to their salary and relative to their starting position, that just made so much sense that uh, I'm going to do the same thing at New Hampshire. It's just going to be study, 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 and just create the best darn lineup possible. Of course, 25 compete, 15 advance. It's going to be more geared towards a cash game style lineup. So I'm going to set the best, essentially the best cash game lineup I can. Although I might throw in a little upside if I think it might be necessary in, in certain situations because we don't know how qualifying and all that will shake out. Sure. Cash plus, basically. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, okay. It's what people listen to the show for to listen to you talk about drivers and your picks. Who are your picks to dominate Chicagoland? Well, I think the first one is pretty darn obvious. Uh, that would be Kyle Bush. He took the pole position, got the Toyotas that are just insanely fast. Kyle, uh, Kyle Bush has that pit crew swap now. Uh, he gets the first pit stall. I mean, he's got everything going for him. And not only was he first in qualifying, he was first in qualifying by nearly three-tenths of a second, which is just bananas. I mean, that is, that is a huge amount to be ahead of the second-place car. So very strong car, very good for, for Kyle Busch. I think the second most likely dominator will be Martin Truex Jr. He starts third. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about playing drivers who start 1-2 this year, but Martin Truex Jr., even when he started third, has dominated a lot. So I certainly think Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch will be the two most likely dominators. If you want a bit of a, I wouldn't say a contrarian dominator, but if you want a bit of a different dominator um, than, than Truex or Larson, sorry, not Truex or Larson, but uh, Truex or Kyle Busch there, I think Kevin Harvick is probably the next one on the list for me. He starts fourth and has led the second most laps at the large ovals this year, actually ahead of Kyle Busch. But uh, obviously Kyle Busch has gotten a lot better, especially the first very first couple of races of the year. The Toyotas were a little behind, but they found something that had just been insane. Uh, the, you know, the latter two thirds of the regular season. And now in the playoffs, I expect that to continue. So Kevin Harvick would be kind of a contrarian dominator for me. Okay. Let's talk about cash games. Who do you got there? Yeah, cash games are super interesting because, uh, you know, with the Dominators, probably you're playing Kyle Busch and Truex, I would guess most people would be. Uh, don't, don't have to go that direction, but it certainly raises your floor to play those two Dominators. So where else do you go? Um, a driver I like is, of course, Casey Kane qualified 25th. We'll have to see, of course, with practice times, if it's any better. Uh, he's been pretty good at the mile and a half this year in terms of driver rating. 
and then, uh, sorry, I take that back. He actually hasn't been that good in terms of driver rating. So, but he did qualify 25th, um, and he is back there, the, the last car in the chase in terms of qualifying position. Whenever you get a Hendrick car that qualifies 25th, I think you probably have to play him. Now, I definitely want to check practice speeds because Eric Jones is right there in 24th as well, uh, and that is also a interesting spot for Eric Jones. The knock on Eric Jones is. He's a boomer bust type driver. He's had a lot of wrecks this year. He's also, um, besides just having a lot of wrecks, he's had a lot of very strong, good finishes and even been contention for wins a couple times. So I do like that upside. And you still get the bit of safety because of the fact that he starts 24th. So even if he does wreck, it's not the end of the world wreck. But uh, like we're obviously hoping he doesn't wreck if we're playing him in cash games anyway. So it's 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 an interesting decision point there, how you construct your rosters. Do you go Eric Jones? Do you go Casey Kane? Do you go both? Do you go somewhere else? So many decisions to make, but Casey Kane and Eric Jones definitely stand out qualifying 25th and 24th. I really like to see their practice times. Eric Jones does, as I mentioned with those crashes, concern me because he spun in qualifying, and that's why he ended up 24th. He made it the second round of qualifying, we're 24 advance, and because he spun in his second round qualifying, he'll start 24th. Now, not only that, he'll go to the rear of the field for the race. So for DraftKings purposes, he'll start from 24th. For the race, he will start dead last in 40th. There's 40 cars this week. So uh, there's also that factor to consider with cash games. So I definitely think Casey Kane with that discount there uh, is is somebody I would maybe prefer slightly more to Eric Jones. But Kane has also had a lot of wrecks this year. So very, very tough with cash games. Then there's another driver I think we have to mention. That, of course, is Jamie McMurray. I did talk about how he is a value on these large ovals this year. He ended up qualifying 19th. He got caught out on the Eric Jones spin. McMurray went out for his qualifying run, was was on a flyer when Jones spun. That means he had Jamie McMurray had to abort his lap, come into the pits for the caution to clean up the track and all that. And his tires had worn just that much more. He probably would have made the top 12. Instead, he qualified 19th. Massive value because he is a top six or seven driver in the large ovals this year. And because, as I mentioned, people might underrate him if they just look at Chicagoland history. Okay, talk to me about your picks for GPPs. Yeah, these GPP picks, I certainly think we want to look at some of these trends that I talked about with drivers that maybe uh, are are better on the large ovals than they've been at Chicagoland. So, um, you know, definitely a name that jumps out to me is Ryan Blaney. He qualified 12th. He was the slowest in final qualifying. But if he practices well, if, if, if you know, for example, his teammate Brad Kozlowski or a pseudo teammate, I guess, is fifth, then I like the chances of Ryan Blaney to move up inside that top five or six drivers there. So Ryan Blaney uh, is a, a name that I like for GPPs. I want to see practice. Um, I mentioned Karvik is kind of a contrarian dominator. And then I think another name that will probably be probably go overlooked in GPPs this weekend as a driver that uh, no longer, I guess, um, has a chance at winning a title for the rest of his career, and that's Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 20th. Um, he's been okay at the large ovals this year, 80.8 uh, driver rating, and um, you know this is just a, a driver that I think they're going to do everything they can, and I think he's going to go overlooked. I would Again, I'm curious about his practice. I'm curious about the Chevys. There's so many things here that I'm curious about. I really want to see final practice, but I think Dale Earnhardt Jr. is interesting because nobody's going to be on him, and he has been okay at these large ovals this year with that 80.8 driver rating, which is good for around 14th, 13th, 14th right there next to his, uh, you know, right after his teammate Chase Elliott. So um, certainly don't mind Dale Earnhardt Jr. at the large ovals this year. 
but uh, it's it's a tough call without seeing practice times, without you know, because the first practice was before qualifying, and that's all we have right now to go by. And a lot of them did qualifying runs in first practice, so second and third practice on Saturday will give us all the answers. Make sure to tune into my article because then we'll have the best way to compare these projections against the ownership projections. Okay, finally, who is your pick to win? Pick to win. Uh, I think it has to be Kyle Busch. Dude's just out in front, so far ahead. Um, he's. I mentioned the qualifying time. Mentioned the Toyota thing. I mentioned the pit crew thing. I mentioned the pit stall. He'll get the best one there. Uh, the main thing is just not getting any penalties, not putting himself in the bad situations. Uh, but I think he can attack and go for the win and lock himself into the next round for the playoffs. So I like Kyle Busch to win the race. You also notice we didn't mention a Joe Dirt cheap, and that's because I'm not really playing any Joe Dirt cheaps. Uh, I guess, you know, if we had to give one, maybe Michael McDowell qualifying 30th, who's had some fast cars this year. So that would be my one kind of Joe Dirt cheap driver I might gravitate towards. But mostly I'm avoiding that range, and uh, Kyle Busch picked to win. I think he does it and advances the next round. Okay. Road of his live. What time is it this weekend? I'm still figuring that one out because we have NFL and because if we look, of course, at NASCAR, the race starts at, uh, sorry, lineups lock at uh, noon Pacific time, 3 Eastern. So two hours before that is right at kickoff of the NFL games. Of course, I do NFL DFS as well. Um, make sure to check out that podcast, by the way, if you, if you play NFL DFS. But I'll figure it out. It might be Saturday night. It might be early Sunday um, before I need to kind of finalize my lineups there Sunday morning with NFL. So I think from this point forward, instead of always being two hours before lock, it's just going to have to be in a bit of flux. But I think most likely it'll be pretty early on Sunday uh, instead of Saturday night because I got a couple things going on on Saturday. All right. Well, obviously everyone should check out Nick on Twitter to stay apprised of the road of his live time. And that's going to do it for this NASCAR edition of on the daily for Nick Giffen. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Road of His Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Road of His Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys, and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbukins. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble Book Hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Terbukins are fictitious and should not be cooked at home.